Well, let's go ahead and uh, get into our message today. I am uh, excited to get into this. Um, as I've said the last few weeks, we don't really have any time to spare, and so uh, I want to jump right in. This is going to be week four of our series called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And, uh, and so we've got today's message, and then next week we'll begin to wrap things up. And so uh, only two messages left, but plenty of good things that we need to continue to dig into and, and apply to our lives. And so I'm excited to do that. But I wanted to do just a really quick recap um, on how we've gotten to this point in this series, especially since we took a bit of a reprieve last week. And so um, real quickly in week one, we started just by setting the foundation that this idea of hurry and restlessness and the pace of life in which we live it today is actually doing a great deal of, of damage and harm for us physically, mentally, emotionally, and most importantly, spiritually. We see some things bubbling beneath the surface that we need to be aware of and be serious about correcting. And so what we have done is began to dig into some spiritual formations or disciplines that we can put in place and, and actively walk in that are going to allow us to overcome this hurry in our lives and ultimately align us with Christ. And so over the last few weeks, that's what we've done. We've talked about the, the spiritual formation of slowing down and, and what that looks like. We've talked about the spiritual formation of Sabbath and how we can walk in that all in an effort to draw us closer and closer to him. And so this is what leads us into today's topic, which I'm going to tell you right out of the gate is going to be the hardest topic for us to get through in this series. And there are, are many reasons why that is the case, um, but I can promise you at some point in this message, within you, there's going to be something that wants to push back on some of these things, maybe, maybe even argue with some of these things. And so what I want to ask you to do before we even begin unpacking that, I want to ask you to, to just try your best to open your heart to open your mind and just to begin to consider these things. Just, just begin to understand if, if this truly does make us more and more like Christ and what we might need to do to truly step into that. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to start today by just reading through a little bit of scripture. Again, as we've said from the beginning, this is ultimately about orienting our lives towards Christ, making us more and more like him. And the bottom line is we can't possibly do that without the Bible, right? And so in this case, rather than trying to kind of set up this topic and ease my way into it in some sort of creative way, I really just wanted to allow scripture to speak for itself, really so that you know that you're not taking my word for it, but you're taking God's word for it. And here's what I'd like to do as we read through these scriptures, and there are, are seven sets of scriptures we're gonna read through. At each point, I want us to stop and I want us to ask, do we truly believe these Jesus principles? Do we truly believe these principles? And when I say that, what I mean is, do we believe them to be truth so much so that it's evident in our lives and in our perspectives. I want us to be serious about asking ourselves that question. And so we're gonna go through each one of these pretty slowly, pretty deliberately, so that you can really ponder and think through what is being said in each one of these. So let's start in Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. 
This is what we read. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Matthew chapter 19, verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Luke chapter 16, verse 14 and 15. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. First John chapter two, verses 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Mark 8, verses 35 and 36. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Matthew chapter six, verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And here's the last one, 1 Timothy chapter six. This is verses seven through 11. It says, for we have brought nothing into the world so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 11, but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. The question remains, do we believe these Jesus principles to be true? Last week, Pastor Steve actually mentioned how many times we read through the Bible and we see these, these teachings and these ideals from Jesus, and we find that they're often opposite from, from what we might think or how we might see things. Right? Whether it's our priorities or whether it's our perspective or our actions, so often we find that, that it's not exactly what we would instinctually think. And one of the biggest ways this is true, especially in our world today, is as we read through Jesus's thoughts and perspective on the topic of money and possessions. In fact, even as we just read through these seven sections of scripture, it becomes abundantly clear that, that our cultural idea of these things is in many ways contrary to that of Christ. So much so that, that it almost seems impossible to see through the lens of Jesus in a world and a value system that is so radically different. In fact, if we're being really honest about it, we primarily here in the West have come to believe a dream and a vision that doesn't necessarily line up with the dream and vision of God. In fact, we have a mantra in this country called the American dream 
which is tied up in health and, and in wealth and prosperity. And some of us have never stopped long enough to think, does that line up with the message of Christ? And in fact, what is governing our lives? Is it that cultural vision or is it the vision of God? What exactly is guiding us? Jean Baudrillard put it this way, materialism has become the new dominant system of meaning. Materialism has become what, what is the priority in our lives. It's what is most significant to us. It's what we spend most of our time trying to reach after and achieve. And if you don't believe me, let me read some of the recent statistics around this that might just change your mind on that. Did you know that Americans spend $1.2 trillion annually on non-essential goods? Meaning things that we don't need, things that are not necessities, $1.2 trillion a year. It continues on. Americans spend over $112 billion on clothes and shoes alone, making shopping officially the number one leisure activity in our country today. The average size of the American home has nearly tripled in size over the past 50 years, and yet 13 million households had to rent off-site storage last year alone. By the way, storage units are now a $40 billion industry in our country today. Just think about what that means. In America, there are more televisions than people, more shopping malls than high schools, and twice as much credit card debt as there is charitable giving. Speaking of, Americans donate less than 2% of their income to benevolent causes, while nearly 1 billion people today live in poverty. Now think about what these things show us about what's going on in our hearts, about what's going on in our minds. And the sad part is every single one of these categories is trending upwards and has been for, for quite some, some time now. In fact, check this out. Back in the early 1900s, this will be interesting to you. A Wall Street banker said this, early 1900s, he said, we must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire to want new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. Now, within about 20 years of that quote, an American journalist said this, a change has come over our democracy and it is called consumptionism. The American citizen's first importance to his country is now no longer that of citizen, but that of consumer. In fact, one of the industrial leaders at the time called it this, the new economic gospel of consumption. Think about just that verbiage, the new economic gospel of consumption. And these things are just increasingly true in our lives and in our culture. Think about our economy. Think about our cultural ideals and the direction that we're headed. It's all of those things. It's desires over needs. It's possessions over people, it's money over time. It's all of these things that continue to be more and more prevalent in our lives and in our society. And yet, as Greg Easterbrook puts it, though the typical person's income has more than doubled in recent decades, they are left feeling worse. Americans and Europeans have ever more of everything except happiness. And this is what leads me back to my original question do we believe these Jesus principles to be true? 
In other words, do we truly believe that Jesus actually knows what he's talking about when it comes to this topic? Is there maybe a better life that we could live than the one that culture and society tells us to live? And this is what I wanna begin to dig into today. We're gonna talk about a spiritual formation that will slowly but surely align us with Christ in a way that allows us to overcome the things that are happening around us. Now, again, as is the case with every single one of these topics, um, there's, there's not a silver bullet resolution. There, there's not something quick that we can implement that's going to change everything. But if we can dedicate ourselves to faithfulness, to, to stepping into some of these things day by day, I truly believe that we can begin to have the perspective of Christ in our lives and regarding this topic. And so the spiritual formation that I want to talk to you about today is called the spiritual formation of simplicity, okay? The formation or the discipline of simplicity. You may have heard this called minimalism before. There are aspects of that that are true here, but I think it goes above and beyond that. And so I wanna show you exactly what I'm talking about. Before we talk about what it is though, let's first just talk about what it's not, okay? Sometimes it's helpful to understand right out of the gate, what are we not talking about? And so when we discuss simplicity, we are not talking about a formation of poverty, Okay, that's not necessarily what we're talking about. In fact, I think this is one of the errors that people have made with this historically, where they see the teachings of Jesus and actually begin kind of glorifying or, or even glamorizing the idea of poverty. And, and I just don't think that that's what Jesus is trying to do. I think what he's trying to do is show us that there's a balance here that we have to understand in our context where we have what we need, can enjoy the things he's given us, but in no way be attached to them. In no way give our hearts to those things. That's, that's the goal, to ensure that God is always the one leading and guiding us, not the things that we have in this world, okay? So, so it's not necessarily a formation of poverty. It's not uh, a, a formation where we learn how to better organize our stuff. It's, it's not that. It's not like a new fad where we actually begin to understand how we can better utilize our space. The truth is, if you have to spend more time and money to organize all your stuff, the bottom line is you have too much stuff, right? So, so that's not what we're, we're talking about, okay? So what is the formation of simplicity? This is the, the best definition. I think you're gonna hear this is from Joshua Becker. And he says, it's the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them, okay? I'm gonna say that again and just try to kind of wrap your heart and your mind around that. The intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. This is what simplicity truly looks like in our lives. And this is very much emblematic of the life of Christ. We very much see this in the way that he operated. In fact, one of the very clear things that we see as we read through the gospels is that Jesus lived a very focused life. Okay? In other words, it, it was simple in the sense that, that he didn't seem to have a, a ton of distractions, physically, mentally, emotionally. He was intently focused on the truly important things. And, and that's the goal of this, to remove the things that, that aren't adding value, that don't bring joy, that we realize we no longer need so that we can be ultra-focused and intentional about what truly matters most. 
In fact, have you ever noticed as you read through the gospels that we don't see uh, about a bunch of Jesus's hobbies or a bunch of his material goals? We, we don't see a lot of those things in the narrative. The picture we get of him is always intentional, always unhurried, always focused on what matters most, that being the kingdom of God, right? In fact, he says as much in Matthew chapter six, verse 33, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you, okay? That, that right there is the core, the, the key to this idea of simplicity, that we would seek first his kingdom, in other words, that, that you would center your heart on that, that you would make the primary focus of your life that, and then allow faith to provide the rest as you trust in him. That's what this is about. In fact, this is why many people call this having simplicity of heart, meaning at a heart level, not being pulled in a bunch of different directions, but truly being centered on Jesus. And then everything else in your life is informed from that right? Every relationship, every task, every decision, like down to how many clothes you have and how many cars you drive and how many hobbies you have. Everything else is informed from that inner disposition of Christ-likeness. That's what we want to see. This is why Richard Foster puts it this way. Simplicity is an inward reality that can be seen in an outward lifestyle of choosing to leverage time, money, talents, and possessions toward what matters most. That's such a beautiful definition of what we're talking about. See, one of the biggest things that we don't realize about our cultural approach to all of this stuff is, is the compound interest of it all meaning everything we have has an impact, not just on our money, but on our time, on our attention, on our energy, on our emotional health. Like all of these things are impacted as well. And we need to be more aware of the full cost that is associated with these things. See, sometimes we forget that each one of us has a capacity, right? Every single one of us do in, in every area of our lives. We have a time capacity, we have a financial capacity, we have a mental capacity, an emotional capacity. We are limited, finite beings. And what that means is, listen, if we fill up that capacity with more and more random stuff, we're limiting our effectiveness and focus in each one of those areas. Again, we've talked a lot about how our emotional well-being is in flux today because we simply have too many things going on. And the same is true for every area and aspect of our lives. We have too much going on to truly be effective in the important things. And so what we can begin to do is just strip away the, the things that don't truly matter. Just begin to intentionally remove the things that, that don't bring value. And all of a sudden that opens up our capacity to truly focus on what does matter. And then guess what? All of a sudden, our time and our attention and our intellect and our emotions can actually be given to Jesus and the call that he has for our lives. We can actually begin to, to step into those things effectively, impactfully, joyfully. All of a sudden, that actually becomes realistic for us to walk in. And this is what we desperately want for our lives. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, that's what we want for our lives. And so I wanna go through some of the practical steps that maybe can help us get to this point, okay? And as I've said each time, um, I know that these things are really simple, really practical, but if slowly but surely we can begin to implement them and begin to step into them, I really do think it's gonna have an impact on our perspective and the way that we live our lives. And so the first practical step that we need to be serious about 
is we need to be wise stewards of our lives, okay? If we're truly gonna practice simplification, we have to be wise stewards of our lives. What I really mean when I say that is is just being more thoughtful and more intentional uh, about everything around us, about every decision we make, right? Being, Being more mindful, more mindful of our desires, more mindful of our purchases, more mindful of the things that distract us from Jesus. We, we need to be more intentional in those things. That's what this calls for. And again, th- this whole idea goes well beyond the concept of money, right? In fact, there are plenty of people that are really intentional about budgeting your, your finances and your expenses, but what about budgeting your time? What about budgeting your attention? What about budgeting your energy? Do you steward these things well on top of that? See, simplicity forces us to to be true to our real priorities. Like think about it, what what truly deserves our time, our attention, our money, our energy, and how can we give more of ourselves to those things? That's what we want to begin to step into. Now, here's a really practical way that we can do this. And, and, and you're gonna have to be really intentional about it. And that is to, to just run a cost-benefit analysis of everything in your life. Like truly determine the cost of everything in your life. And that's primarily gonna come through two different filters, okay? And the first one is through the things that you're taking in. So in other words, as a consumer, what are you allowing into your life? Your purchases, your hobbies, your your studies, before you allow them to take up space in your life, determine the true cost of those things. Can you truly afford not just the price of money, but the price of worry, the price of emotions, the price of time? Can you truly afford that? Will this add value and meaning to your life or will it add waste and and distraction? Like make a real determination on these things. Just be intentional about the things that you're allowing into your life. And then the other way is by, by being intentional about the things that you take out of your life. In other words, as an owner of all of these things that you have in your life, we need to be more intentional about removing the things that are simply in the way that are simply distracting us from what's really most important. And here's a really easy way that you can start that process, okay? Two things, with your schedule and with your stuff, okay? A really easy start to this process. How can you simplify these areas to allow for more focus and for more effectiveness? So just start by by looking at your weekly calendar and, and determining what are the things that are just wasteful, right? I mean, what are the things that are just truly wasting your time? We've talked about many of those throughout this series and just be serious about cutting them out or, or at the very least limiting those things that you give your time and attention to. And then utilize that space for the things that you've determined matter most, right? Like, like if you do that, maybe you would finally get space back to, to actually have a morning prayer time. Maybe you would actually get space back to to really dig into scripture for the first time or or finally begin to build a relationship with a neighbor. Maybe we would get space and margin back for these things that really matter. Just start taking some intentional steps to simplify your schedule and then do the same thing with your stuff, okay? And and I know that this is probably gonna be a little bit more difficult for us to do, but, but I'm serious, be intentional about this. Literally go through your house, go through every room and, and start determining what adds value and what doesn't. Like, like seriously, what is a good gift of God's grace and what is just distracting you from it? 
What, what adds clutter and what adds joy? Like seriously, make a determination on these things and then act accordingly. In fact, here's one of the ways that you can do this that I found particularly interesting. As you're going through this process, as you're going through your house and you're, you're looking at the things that, that you can make a determination on, put your stuff in three different categories, okay? That is things you can get rid of, things you can give away, and things you can wait on, okay? So first and foremost, what are the things in, in our homes all around us that we can just get rid of, right? Just throw it away, we're done with it, it's a distraction, we can move on. What are the things that we can give away? Something that's gonna bless somebody else, something that's gonna add value to somebody else. Let's be more intentional about that. And then the third one are the things that we can wait on. And this is a really interesting one, but, but maybe there is something that you just can't seem to, to separate from at the time, right? I just, I don't wanna get rid of this. I, I don't wanna move on from this. Just, just put that thing away for, for some period of time, maybe six months, maybe a year, what, whatever it is. And listen, if in that time frame you make your way back to that item, then great, right? There, there's no legalism here. Open it up, enjoy it, whatever it is, go for it. But what you're gonna find most often is once it's out of sight, you're realizing that no longer does it have the, the value that you thought it once did. And then once you come back to that item, you're now detached to the point where you can move on. You can go on your life without those things. Let's just take some intentional steps to simplify our schedules and to simplify the things that are in our lives. I know that sounds so practical, but I'm telling you right now, it will open up your heart and your mind to the things that truly matter most. And that's what we want to see Achieve. Now, now, along with this topic, there are two things that I just want to call out really quickly to make sure that we have the right perspective on this. And the first one is this, as is always the case, we must allow God to lead us through these decisions. He must be the one who is leading and guiding those decisions. The reason I say that is because if we allow our desires to decide what we add or remove, then we're not gonna make much progress here, right? We're gonna find ourselves going back to that place of wanting and longing and worrying. But if we allow him to lead and guide us, then we know we're gonna head in the right direction. We know we're gonna remove the things we need to, add the things we need to. We know we're gonna be in a safe place. Here's the other thing, and I just wanna keep reminding us of this throughout this process. We can't forget that this is ultimately about freedom, okay? That, that is the endeavor. That's what we want to experience. And so I don't want us getting the wrong picture here as if God is being stingy with us. That's not the case. He's out for our joy, but so often that is found in the things and the places that, that we're not looking for, that we're not aware of. And, and so we have to trust him and allow him to lead and guide us through that process and know that freedom and joy is there for us in and through it. We have to continue to remind ourselves this is a, a good endeavor that we need to give ourselves to. So let's be wise stewards of everything in our life. Let's be mindful. Let's be intentional as we keep our focus on the main thing, okay? Here's the second thing we can do, and this is kind of uh, really quick and, and really easy, but something that I think is important, and that is learn to appreciate the small things again. Just learn to appreciate the small things in your life once again. See, part of the downfall of this consumeristic society is that we no longer find satisfaction in the simple things anymore, right? Our, our senses are so trained to want to be wowed that if we get anything less than that, we kind of feel like disappointed, 
We kind of feel like we're, we're underwhelmed by that experience. That's what we've been conditioned to feel. But we need to retrain ourselves to just appreciate the, the little things again. In fact, the things that we get to experience every day of our lives, we just no longer realize the, the value of it, right? Let's, let's appreciate those things, revalue those things in our life that truly revive our souls and draw us closer and closer to him. That's the second thing. Here's the third thing, and, and this is a big one and um, might require for you to take kind of a, a deep breath as we dig into this one. But the third thing is this, we need to survey what we're giving our lives to. We need to be serious about surveying what it is we are truly giving our lives to. This really starts with understanding the idea of, of identity, okay, which is a huge piece of this discussion. I wish we had more time to, to dig into that because one of the dangerous aspects of consumerism is that far too easily we forget who we are. We begin identifying ourselves with our hobbies, or with our products, or with our careers, as opposed to in Christ. We forget that we're a child of the living God, and that's how we're supposed to live our lives. We get confused with who we really are. And in fact, at the beginning of one of Jesus's discourses on this topic, this is what he said, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He said, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Now the words consist of are originally translated to exist for. In other words, what Jesus is really saying is you don't exist for the purpose of making money and gathering a bunch of possessions. That's not who you were created to be. And as nice as that sounds, the, the, the problem with it is our culture tells us the exact opposite, right? In fact, this is who we think most of us are, right? We identify ourselves through the things that we own and through the things that we do. In fact, if somebody asked us, we would call ourselves carpenters or, or bankers or teachers. That's how we see ourselves. And it's not that those are bad things. They just make for lousy identities, especially when you consider that for most people, they're only in it for the money, right? In fact, check this out. For the average person, listen closely, over one half of their waking hours are spent on the pursuit of making money while 80% of those people say they hate their jobs. Not just that they, they don't like them or they'd rather do something, they hate their jobs. So we hate our jobs, yet spend over half of our lives doing it. Why? To make money. That's, that's what it's all about. That's the purpose behind it. And so what we don't even realize is that our identities have become so wrapped up in money and wealth that we can't even separate ourselves from it. That's now become our purpose. That's become our mission. In fact, something that, that's kind of been bothering me a bit lately, and I'm kind of getting on a soapbox here, so I apologize. But something that's been bothering me lately is how, how often we try to stuff the mission of Jesus into our jobs and our careers, rather than figuring out what job or career would put us on mission for Jesus. Like, why have we twisted that up so much? Now, I know that, that even the thought of that makes some of us anxious, maybe even makes some of us angry, but if we dig down deep enough, we'll realize the real root of the problem, which is we've lost our true identity. We, we've forgotten about why we were created to begin with. Now, now listen closely. Do I believe you can have a, a normal modern job and be on mission for Jesus? Absolutely, without a doubt. In fact, I know many of you that do exactly that. 
Your careers align you with Christ. They allow you to faithfully help others. They open the doors to further the kingdom. That's beautiful. I don't want to discourage you for a moment in that. But honestly, guys, for some of us, I think we need to better consider this. I think we need to be more intentional about what we're spending most of our time doing and the purpose behind it. What do we truly believe is our identity? What do we truly believe is our purpose? And just see where that might lead us. What do we want to truly give our lives to? And let's begin to walk in that. Let's begin to prioritize that. Let's begin to sacrifice for that. That's what we need to do as his people. The fourth and final one is this, and and this is a huge one, especially within our context. And that is we need to be generous with everything we have. Okay, this is one of the best ways that we can simplify our lives is just by being generous with everything that we have. What if instead of looking at ourselves as consumers, we looked at ourselves as givers? What if that's just how we saw ourselves? In fact, think about the paradigm shift if we realize that everything we have is a gift of God and so we can just freely give it out to those around us. What if that was our perspective? See, this is one of those areas where Jesus's principles just seem a little bit odd to us, right? The the math doesn't add up within our culture and our society. In fact, Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, many of us have heard that our entire lives and are maybe even nodding our heads right now, except for the fact that that doesn't show up in our lives at all. I mean, that's not how we live at all. That's not how we operate at all. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give it to charity. Lend expecting nothing in return. Like, like think about the perspective of generosity that Jesus has. And in fact, speaking of perspective, maybe this will help you understand why this is important within our context. But did you know that if you make $34,000 a year or more, you are in the top 1% of earnings in the world today? $34,000 a year or more, you're in the top 1% of the world today. Now, if that's the case, think about not just our ability, but really our responsibility to give to those in need. I want you to, to think about that for a moment in your life. I think it would amaze us how many things we have in our homes that would absolutely change the life of somebody else around us. In fact, just the things that we have in abundance that would vastly improve somebody else's existence. Do we think that way? Do we have that type of perspective? Are we thinking uh, about helping the needy and giving to the poor and, and feeding the hungry? Is that how our minds work? Because I'll tell you, that's exactly what Jesus was about. That's exactly what Jesus tells us to focus on. We, we gotta get our heart back to a place of, of generosity, of helping those around us, being open-handed with everything that he has given us. Here's one of the cool ways I, I think you can implement this, okay? When, when you're making your monthly budget, So again, we're stewarding wisely. So yes, have a monthly budget. When you're making that budget, create a new line item that says blessing fund, okay? And and I want you to pray about and, and, and decide what exactly that amount would be. And then just carve out that space so that every month you can just freely give that out to people who are in need. And, and have some fun with it, right? I mean, seriously, just, just freely give the things that God has given you. Now, here's the thing. That's gonna take a lot of intentionality, right? In other words, you have to know what, what people might be going through. You, you have to know what might help them out. You have to know how much you can give them, right? You have to be intentional. But what if we were that intentional about our generosity? What if we were that intentional about just freely giving to the people around us and, and helping those? What if that was our perspective? We need to be a people who are givers. 
cheerful givers, generous with everything that we have. As Jesus says, freely you have received, and so freely you must give. That's the people that we should be. If we're followers of Christ, that's the perspective we need to have. Now, again, I know that these are some really simple, practical ideas, but I honestly believe that if we would simplify our lives in some of these ways, it would make a radical difference for the effectiveness of the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. I truly believe if we simplified our lives in some of these ways, it would make a radical difference in the kingdom of God. What if if we just got rid of some of the waste, just got rid of some of the excess? Think about how much that would free us up to truly be about the things we should be about. And then going back to freedom, think about the freedom and the joy that would come with that. The things we've really been longing for and desperate for, they're just around the corner if we would begin to live our lives as Christ has told us. Let's be serious about this. Let's sacrifice for this. Let's step into this more and more every day to be the people he's called us to be. Please stand with me. A few weeks ago, one of the things we talked about is how Jesus describes his lifestyle. And when he describes his lifestyle, he uses two words in particular. He says, it's light and it's easy. This is what he says. So instead of of being heavy and burdensome, instead of being full of weight, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I just want you to think about that for a second because that's exactly what we're doing through this idea of simplicity. We've been weighed down with all of these unnecessary things in our lives, all of these extra things that we don't really need in our schedules, in our homes, in our hearts, in our minds. We wanna simplify that so we can truly begin to live that lightness and that easiness that Jesus has for us. How amazing would that, how beautiful would that be if we could walk in those things? And so to to sum up this section, I wanna read what John Mark puts in his book that I think is a beautiful way of summing this up. He puts it this way. The truth is you can be happy right here, right now through Christ who strengthens you, meaning through investing your resources in ongoing relational connection to Jesus. You can live a rich and satisfying life, whether you are rich or poor, single or married, crushing at your dream job or making minimum wage. Right now, you have everything you need to live a happy, content life. You have access to the Father, to his loving attention. Remember when Jesus said his yoke is easy, maybe we're starting to understand what he meant. What if we could simplify our lives in that type of way, where where there's no doubt that he is what's most important to us? in our perspective, in our pursuits, in our dreams, in our time, in our attention. He is so clearly number one in our lives. And then everything else is just informed by that. Everything else feeds off of of that. I'm telling you right now, as, as maybe fundamental and elementary as these things sound, I really think this is one of the most important things that we can think about in our day and age and in our context. 
I'm serious. I would beg of you to like deeply consider these things. In fact, as I was creating my message this week, I'm telling you, I, I had to delete so many notes to, to get it down to as quickly as I could get through the sermon. I mean, I literally had three times more notes than, than I ended up with. I had to get rid of so many things just to be able to try to put this forward in some sort of succinct manner. I'm telling you, if you go out and you read scripture, if you begin to understand what God has for your life, this is something that is necessary. You go read Luke chapter 12, Matthew chapter six, Philippians four, Hebrews six, Matthew 19. Matthew 19 is a, is a devastating one, a story about a rich young ruler. And if we would read that story through how we live our lives and what we are attached to, it becomes very eye-opening to the perspective that we have. So I'm asking you, seriously consider these things, dig into these things, understand these things for your life so that you can live a life like Christ has for you.